This podcast is sponsored by the animation studio, Tonic DNA. You're listening to the Story Driven Arts Podcast, where the visual arts and storytelling come together. I'm animation director and your host, Todd Schaefer. My guest today is the legendary screenwriting instructor from the UCLA Screenwriting Program, Richard Walter. I've been reading books on screenwriting since my days in film school. I have more books than any screenwriter could possibly want. When an aspiring screenwriter asks me what books they should read, the first one I recommend is The Essentials of Screenwriting, written by our guest. Of all the screenwriting books I've read, Richard's is the most grounded, and that's just what you would expect from a professor who was a driving force in the most successful screenwriting program in the last 20 years or more. And I'm not saying this to butter him up. This is why I reached out to him to be a guest on this podcast, which he so graciously agreed to. Richard still teaches and holds online screenwriting workshops from time to time. If you can manage to get a spot in one of them, they're well worth it. You'll find links to his books and his workshop in the show notes of this episode. Good. I'm ready to rock and roll whenever you're ready. (laughs) Fantastic. I'm so grateful to have you here. Well, I'm delighted. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to to, to join you. Are you still teaching at UCLA? Not at UCLA. I I retired about five years ago. Okay. And you're doing your own workshop. I I am doing my, uh, I am teaching online. I've just finished last week my uh, um, fourth offering, I think, of a um, a limited enrollment uh, interactive live in real time uh, screenwriting webinar that I do. Oh, great. um, You know, the the University of California um, uh, is a research institution, so so teaching is very important. It's our second most important obligation, but our first obligation is is um, the work that we do. If we're you know uh, 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 we're we're supposed to stay active in our our field, you know. So so, um, people would ask me uh, when when I joined the faculty. Do they tolerate me having an outside a career outside as a writer? Uh, and my answer to that was no. They don't. They don't merely. Excuse me. I'm just trying to take off my shirt. No, nope, no problem. <laughs> they don't merely um, tolerate it. They require that. That's you know your first oh. obligation. So the joke about a uh, <laughs> about a a writer who's a retired college professor, uh, you know, in the lockdown and. And the pandemic is how does he know the difference? You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I am pleased to say, you know, I, I have done enough in my life um, that I'm allowed to just sit around and do nothing, you know. But um, uh, in fact, I am quite busy. I'm, I'm writing, I'm podcasting, I'm blog posting, um, I'm continuing yeah, yeah. my side hustles uh, as a script doctor, a screenplay analyst. And also, I am a longtime um, uh, uh, court-authorized expert in in intellectual property issues, especially oh. copyright infringement, plagiarism, and I I testify uh, over the years in dozens and dozens of of um, uh, cases, litigation involved, you know, sometimes for defendants and sometimes for plaintiffs huh. uh, in litigation involving uh, you know those those issues, infringement, plagiarism, even even trademark. And I don't mind telling you there's few experiences that mellow the spirit better than meeting with a bunch of lawyers and having them pay you money. I, I don't <laughs> <mind>. <laughs> you they know, are inter- the, the cases are, I will say are fascinating. They run to the, you know, they go to the heart of uh, the nature of, um, of creativity and, yeah. and um, uh, you know, the sometimes I remember, for example, I was involved in the James Bond case. The whole James Bond franchise was yeah. was um, at stake. Two studios versus two studios. Uh, long, you know, years long protracted uh, uh, litigation. Um, and part of what I had to do was read the, all of the original James Bond books, the Ian Fleming books. Wow. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> they're, they're really quite brilliant. Uh, um, you know, I don't imagine getting paid very well to read them, you know, no, no, no complaints, yeah. no complaints. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's fantastic. You know, I was just thinking it would be a great book to have somebody write, uh, uh, just little snippets of litigation 
issues that happen with screenwriting and screenwriters and IP intellectual property. That would be a fascinating read, I would think. Yes, I think that I think that that would be. Uh, there's a lot of a lot a lot a lot of misunderstanding about um, yeah about the about those uh, those issues. Um, yeah. there's more misunderstanding, frankly, than than understanding. People don't understand, for example, <laughs> the copyright. When when people say they've copyrighted something, they usually mean that they've actually registered the copyright with the copyright office of the uh, Library of Congress. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the fact is that these words we're speaking now, you and I, we own them. You know, they, the copyright is is uh, even though they're not written down, um, uh, the copyright is created as the as the content is 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 created. Yes, yep. And I think it's even stronger in Canada. Uh, Canada has a stronger law for creation copyright kind of stuff. Uh -huh. I don't I don't know how it works. Uh, yeah, works up north. Yeah. Huh. Uh, but um, uh, people people misunderstand it really it really goes back to i mean it does happen that stuff gets stolen but yeah. but it's really quite unusual and you, if you think about it uh, a um uh you know movie costs a hundred million dollars yeah. yeah. to a million dollars and even if if the script costs two or three percent of that you know that would be a fantastic amount of money they they wouldn't want to, re uh, um, you know, it would be fantastic money for the writer, but they, they yeah. but not not really. It's just a couple of points of the, or a point of the production, but they wouldn't want yeah. they wouldn't want to risk the whole thing, you know, to just cut the writer out of out of that. Yeah. So pe people uh, tend to to um, uh, over uh, value the the uh, the idea, the nature of yeah. ideas. You yeah. know, when you have a great idea, I love to tell mm -hmm. writers. If you have a great idea for a movie, a really, really great idea for a movie, that's all you got. <laughs> you know, I mean, what remains, what remains after that? Everything you have to create the characters. Yeah, exactly. It's and meaningless. the actions and the incidents and the anecdotes, what they do and what they say. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. so ideas, you think about um, ideas, uh, um, the, the uh, uh, you know, the, 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 talk about great ideas. Um, Really, really fine movies have been made out of stupid ideas, you know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I had students years ago that my favorite, uh, I, I was privileged uh, as a teacher at UCLA to be working with really, really good students, good writers who would go on to sensational success. And a bunch of them, uh, I mean, 11 of them uh, uh, got credits on, uh, uh, you know, who studied screenwriting in that program over the years, got credits on uh, Steven Spielberg movies. I'm talking about on screen shared or solo writing credit mm -hmm. um so people were usually usually successful came through that program and it is good to work with artists you know i mean if you work with artists of limited ability and limited talent that's okay it, it, people are reaching and stretching and trying to be human and yep. and creative and and they're taking the risk um and, and that's going to be affirming and expansive for the the instructor the mentor the um, you know the teacher but more better uh you know, if you if you're working with artists, to work with the best artists, and that's yep. what we had at at UCLA. And and I will tell you, the my favorite uh, movie that ever came out of among students from that program is is called. It was about twenty, must be <laughs> must be twenty five years ago. Uh, Stand and Deliver. Oh. It's based on uh, in reality on on uh, the um, Jaime Escalante, who was actually a Bolivian um, teaching uh, in. Um, East Los Angeles to Latino students um, and um, uh, teaching them uh, calculus. Mm. And uh, they, uh, this really happened. They, when they took, the kids took the calculus um, exam that is offered by the Educational Testing Service from Princeton, New Jersey, not the university, but in Princeton, New Jersey, is the, the ETS that they, they make the, uh, you know, the PSATs and the SATs and the GRE, all of those exams and so on. Um, they, the, the, uh, uh, when these kids take that test and they pass it, the people back in Princeton um, say, no, these Latino kids, they couldn't have, have learned calculus. They're just not smart enough. Mm. Um, they must have cheated. I mean, you know, here you you, you can see the bigotry. Uh, you know, yeah, this day yeah. that they're dishonest and they're stupid. You know, yeah. And they made them take the the test again. I mean, huh. this really happened. They sent out huh. proctors from Princeton 
New Jersey, and um, they separated the kids on the weekend in different classrooms in an otherwise empty um, building, you know, in empty school schoolhouse, and and each um, student had an individual proctor sitting there to make sure that she couldn't cheat, you know. And guess what happened? The kids passed the calculus again, uh, and they showed that they really they really could huh. learn it. And that's what the movie is about. So the the producer of the movie, it was co-written by Tom Musker and, and Ramon uh, um, Menendez, uh, two UCLA students. It was also, it was also edited uh, by a UCLA uh, um, uh, editor uh, who's now a professor of editing at, in the film school, uh, the cinematographer uh, uh, and, and other people in the movie. But Ramon Menendez and Tom Musker co-wrote the movie. Ramon directed the movie and and, and Tom um, directed, uh, produced it. And uh, Tom was from New Jersey. He talked like this. Um, <laughs> he, uh, I remember him saying to me, imagine me pitching this town to the, uh, this picture to the town. Uh, the climax is these kids take a math test twice. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it just sounds, it sounds ridiculous, you know? Yeah. And it is ridiculous all by itself. But yeah. um, the, the point is it's, the value in, in movies is not about is not that's in right. ideas but in stories. That's right, and the story is the execution part, and that's the hardest part. Right. Well, I mean, you know, tell the, the idea of of Jaws. You know, you can tell in a yeah. few minutes, uh, a few minutes in in fifteen or twenty seconds, you could say what Jaws is all about. And um, but if you tell the story of Jaws, you know, it's going to take you as, as long as Jaws. Yeah. This happens, that yeah. happens, this happens, that happens. So what has value? Something that takes twenty seconds, or something something that yeah. takes a couple of hours, and That's that takes right. like months and years even to 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 pr produce those couple of hours. Yeah, know? and two That's hours true. is too too long. I'd say hundred minutes is just about right. Right, there seems to be a plague of 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 everything being too long, worse than ever. Oh, really? You think so? Seems that way to me. Huh? Yeah. I think it has to do to some extent. Well, just generally. Um, people don't end, uh, you know, I like to ask writers, uh, uh, how, how short, what should the length of a movie be? Multiple choice. Um, three choices, A, B, C, A, too long, B, too short, C, just exactly the right length. And the answer is B, too short. Yeah. So what you should do is get it a little too short. You should be dissatisfied yeah. when the movie's over. Um, if you go on a vacation, and you're ready to come home, then you were there too long. You should be yeah. reluctant to to, uh, to come home. When you get to the end of a, a book, if it's a really engaging, good read, you should be sorry that book is over. You yeah. know, it, it should be right. too short. That's so. So people really do need to to um, uh, pay attention to that. I started to say one of the one of the reasons I think that has exacerbated this length issue in recent years is the media. That is to say, there is so much. A space available for content now. Yeah. And when I came to town, I, I came to California in 1966 in August. I thought for three weeks, and I've decided recently I'm going to give it another 55 years. If it still hasn't worked out for me, <laughs> at Teddy Apple. Uh, the, the 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 fact is that that um, uh, back then there were three television networks and seven yep. movie studios. Now there's 100, 200. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, um, and and uh, the studios are don't mean what they meant, you know, and and there's so much there's there's just so much room for for production. Um, it used to be if somebody like a producer, like Aaron Spelling, or today be be Shonda Rhimes or somebody like, would go to a network um, in the old days, and they'd say, "We, I want to. Here's my idea for this series. Here's here's my plan for this this series, and we want." Uh, uh, 39 weeks and the, the network might say we'll give you 13 or we'll give you 26 you know and you'd fight yeah. over that now it's the reverse they'll come in and say look i got eight episodes that make you know a limited series they say no we want 15 episodes you know we, we need we need more content and so they stretch the stuff out yeah and it just gets less and less interesting somebody i was yeah. recently commenting on um uh, game of thrones now i haven't seen game of thrones but I, I saw the beginning of it uh, and I didn't get engaged by it. I must tell you, I, I have friends uh, whom I love and respect who are hypnotized by it. I'm not faulting yeah. the series, but it just didn't, didn't do it yeah. for me. But even those fans of the series said, how come it, they were asking me this is why I was commenting on it. Uh, you know, why did it fall apart at the end? 
And Simon Sin, I can tell you what what is likely the problem is it went on too long. They should have killed <laughs> they should have killed it a couple true. of seasons yeah, earlier. Yeah. Mad Men went on too long. Yeah. Uh, uh, Breaking Bad knew when to end. Uh, the Sopranos knew when to end. One of yeah. my favorite series, going back to broadcast TV uh, days, maybe in the eighties. Uh, my wife and I, one of our favorite shows was was uh, Saint Elsewhere. Yeah. It, it launched the you know it's about a, a, a Boston hospital. And it launched a lot of careers, including Denzel Washington. Yeah. Um, and I hired uh, uh, the the uh, one of the uh, founders of that that one of the creators of that show to work for a number of years at at UCLA. And they could have gone on for you know the network was happy to let them go on for a couple. Of them, but they said no. Our st- we told our story. It's it's done. We you know we want to. Not a lot of people have that yeah. kind of courage. Right. That kind of wisdom. You know. Yeah. Again, you got it. Comedian, I think the hardest thing in, in the, the two hardest things in all of entertainment is singing and um, stand up comedy. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funnier. It is, I mean, a singer, she's she, she's pitchy or not, you know. Yeah. There's nothing more embarrassing than seeing a straight actor, by which I mean a non musical performer, mm-hmm. um, uh, taking a musical turn uh, and not being able to really pull it off yeah uh and likewise uh, with comedy it's it, it it's it's funny or it isn't and um uh the thing about comedians i always tell them is is if you get or any public speaker speak to any group about on any subject if you feel like um maybe you're near with the, the, the point you should think about wrapping it up in it no no Stop it right then and there. As soon as it occurs <laughs> yeah. to you, you yeah. people are wonderful. Thank you so much. You know, and, and run for your life. You know, it really is important to learn how to uh, how to finish. Yeah, that's true. And it's hard to land that plane sometimes. Yeah. Well, once yeah. again, stop trying to find the right point. Get off too soon. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you were teaching at UCLA for how many years now? I was there for over forty years. Yeah. Uh, as I said, I came to California. I thought for three weeks. Uh, in the summer of 66, but uh, uh, I visited the USC film school, visited UCLA as well. Uh, and across town, I, I uh, uh, visited the USC film school and I ended up and I had a major moment in my life where I realized, why am I going back to East? I should be here at, at USC. In those days, uh, film school was a dead end in terms of getting into the profession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sure seemed like there was a lot of talent there and a lot of excitement. And indeed, um, since then, film school has become the number one way into the, in, yeah. into the profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, my class, I think, was the first one of stu- film students that actually went on to own Hollywood, except for one of my classmates, um, George Lucas, who owns Marin County. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there I was with, with nobody knew who, the, who any of us were, but right. you know, with George Lucas. And, and also many, many other prominent names, um, uh, Bob Zemeckis and John Melius and uh, the, the cinematographer Caleb Deschanel, um, uh, Walter Murch, world famous editor yeah. and, and, and um, astrophysicist, uh, uh, theoretical mathematician, amazing, amazing uh, people. And I learned, you know, I took a screenwriting class then and I wrote a, uh, a script interestingly uh, way ahead of its time it now seems to me it was about a guy like me a privileged white kid who was a uh, um a social worker in harlem uh, but had you know thought that he was lifting up the downtrodden people but really brought with him a, a kind of a missionary attitude a sort of a, a hidden um uh, sense of superiority and supremacy mm-hmm. and and so on. Very, very hot subject today. Now, I never wrote that, read that script. Uh, I'm sorry, I never sold that script. Uh, but I, I uh, was able to get um, representation, top representation, uh, 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 on staff at, uh, at, U- at Universal. They still had staffs of writers there. I had my own office with my own, uh, with my name on the door and my own parking place with my name on it next to Paul Newman's parking place for some reason. He was shooting a movie there. Um, The, uh, 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 you know, so, so, so like I say, a lot of writers focus on the sale and they don't understand that when the script doesn't sell, uh, that's not the end. Uh, It's really just the beginning. I tell a story about a a writer uh, who was a student of mine in the 80s 
and the um, the hot uh, movie at that time was Beverly Hills Cop. In my class, the class that I taught again and again and again, I taught it over 100 times uh, over the 40 years. There were just eight writers around the table. At UCLA, we were on uh, three 10-week academic quarters. So I would teach that three times a year. Um, and and the, uh, 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 the first class, I would meet once a week for three hours, myself mm -hmm. and the eight writers. Uh, though I did, I did meet individually with them at mid-quarter and review their work in progress. And then at the end, I also met with them individually, tutorially, one-on-one -on -one, to discuss their, um, my notes, again, my reaction to their, the scripts that they wrote. The only assigned, there was no assigned reading, no tests. The only, it was an eight-credit graduate course. The only requirement was a screenplay, but, you know, that's a big job in 10 weeks to come up with a professional quality feature-length screenplay. And, um, uh, the, the uh, uh, I remember one uh, the the first class each each quarter each academic quarter uh, we would go around the table and everybody would talk briefly about what they wanted to you know what the script mm -hmm. was that they want to write give kind mm -hmm. of an overview yeah and I remember saying to the class before we got started this particular uh, time in the early eighties saying that right now the hot script everybody's looking for Beverly Hills Cop the smartest thing to write now would be a a uh, cop buddy action melodrama that's what the agents are looking for that's what the studios are looking for and that's why you should not write that uh <laughs> it'll be one of 600 that's out there don't be smart about your writing uh yeah. be stupid about it i'm writing is pretty stupid think imagine if if you're walking down the street and somebody ran up to you and a stranger and and more wild-eyed and and said to you uh, uh I had this dream, excuse me, sir, I had this, this dream last night, I want, I, I gotta tell you, man, let's say you were so generous uh, and so humane a person that you, you agreed to let this maniac walk you through the dream that he had the night before, and let's say yeah. you agree to do that, and he says, yeah, okay, but before we get started, uh, I need to let you know this is going to take an hour and 40 minutes, and I need $15 right now. Uh, <laughs> You'd figure crank up the lithium on this guy's drip, you know. I yeah. mean, this is this is a seriously ill person, and yet that's what every writer is doing. We're asking yeah. you to listen to me, this dream that I had, and pay me, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars yeah. for that. So stop being smart about it. Stop being yeah. sane about it. In that particular class, I said, I remember saying, the, the stupidest. Don't be smart. Be stupid. And at that particular time, uh, the stupidest thing you could do was a Western. Nobody was doing Westerns, I pointed yeah. out. And if you wrote a Western, it would be the only Western out there. So mm -hmm. one of the, the uh, students in the class did that. He wrote a Western. I still, you know, I can't remember my grandchildren's names. I don't know where I parked my car, but I could walk you through that script. It was that powerful, <laughs> you know, from, from, from 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, it was called Paradise Gulch. And it was a comic Western. It was about a, after the Civil War, a, a painter, an artist is making his way out West. And he's so poor, he's so impoverished. You know, these towns are opening up across the West after the Civil War. And um, he's going from town to town. He can't even, he doesn't even have a horse or a donkey to, to haul his wagon. He's pulling the wagon himself and it's got paint supplies in it, you know, canvases mm -hmm. and and uh, the tubes of pigment and turpentine and, and the linseed oil, all the kinds of things, and brushes, you know, what, what artists use. And as he gets to each town, uh, there's a saloon that's just been built in each of these towns, and each town needs a naked lady over the bar. And he, he, volunteer, he, go, he finds the, the um, saloon keeper, the owner of the saloon, and says, hey, I'll paint the naked lady over the bar. Give me a week. Put me up for a week. Re, you know, provision me, resupply me, and, mm -hmm. and, and so on. Uh, so when he gets to this one, and he's working his way from town to town out west, when he gets to Paradise Gulch, uh, the mayor is a very prudish kind of a guy <laughs> and doesn't think there should be a, a naked lady. And he's very disturbed by this particular naked lady because it looks like the mayor's wife, that right down to a, uh, um, you know, a, a, a when, a freckle, uh, you know, in a, in a particularly uh, uh, intimate place and so on. So it's a very funny Western. Yeah. Now, I just told you about all of these um, famous, these people became very famous uh, that I went to film school with at USC. But, you know, I went to, to um, 
uh, my undergraduate years, I went to what, what they now call Binghamton University. Harper College <laughs> is still the, um, uh, they still take the name of it. That is the, uh, the undergraduate wing of, of what is Binghamton University. It's part of the State University of New York system. And um, uh, the, 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 uh, my, I, there, my roommate, there were amazing famous people there. My own roommate was Andy Bergman. Uh, Andrew Bergman is a very well-known writer, producer. We're still pals to this day. He lives in New York, uh, but he's here a lot. I'm in New York a lot. We, we're still very, very good pals. Uh, Andy, I have a letter. I, I was actually cleaning up my office yesterday. I came across a letter from Andy, and it, 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 this was when he was getting his PhD at, in Madison, Wisconsin, in history. He said he was working up a notion for a movie, um, and was he was going to call it Tex X, and it was about a 1968 this was like around 1968 it was a yep. then contemporary um a black guy a streetwise harlem kind of a guy um 1968 but in 1868 uh, uh, making his way out west um and um uh, he uh, uh, there's a town that is so crime ridden he's a freed slave this guy um and there's a town that is so desperate the sheriff gets murdered and they're looking for a new sheriff nobody wants to be the sheriff they're, they're so desperate that they're willing even to have a black sheriff and this became blazing saddles mm. and it launched um uh, it really made mel brooks's career mel yeah. had had two very unsuccessful films prior to that mm -hmm. um in terms of box office uh the the um but it really did establish mel brooks yeah. And um, Andy went on to sensational fame. He, he wrote uh, uh, and directed and produced and so on. Um, uh, the Freshman, uh, uh, Honeymoon in Vegas, and on and on. Very, very, very successful writer. Anyway, he formed his own movie company um, way back then, his own production company. And when this script came in, in class, I uh, got in touch with him. I said, you know, you, you, you like funny westerns. You should read this thing. So he did, and he and his partner, they liked it very much, and they acquired it, they optioned it for very little money and only for a very short time. But a lot of writers don't understand that a short option is better than a long option. There's more pressure on the producer to produce. Yeah. Uh, the writer is given away less. Mm -hmm. um, I heard two writers, naive writers, boasting to each other. One was saying he'd sold an option that was for, for six months. The guy said, well, I sold an option for a year. You know, that, that's like the joke about the... Um, uh, there's a contest and the prize, uh, first prize is a week in Philadelphia, um, and second prize is two weeks in Philadelphia. You know, <laughs> it's just, we got a little backwards. So um, this guy was paid very little money, uh, but for a month, for, for a month or two or three, the rights were controlled by Andy and his partner. Hmm. And um, during that month, they, they tried to get the project on. And they didn't succeed. So at the end of the month, at the end of that period, the two, three months, the writer had returned to him 100% of, of the rights to the script, plus whatever money he'd gotten for the option, not a lot of money, but he, he gets to, to keep all of it. And if that's all that happened, that's not such a bad thing, but it's not nearly all that happened. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, for one thing, he was shown around town under the best of circumstances during those months, not by himself, they wouldn't have read him not by his agent he didn't have an agent but even if you have an agent it's it's better to be shown around by a a producer with a track record for making hit movies who wants to make your movie right. so he got read by all of the heads of the studios now there's nothing wrong with being read by underlings and i have a whole case i like to make for being read by lower level people who are trying to make their careers and will make your career right if you go for the really really super people they're too busy with their superstars they don't have the time for for, for anything yeah. else they call it their bandwidth now um so this this uh, uh this guy uh, was went from being completely unknown uh, to being very well known again nothing wrong with being read by underlings but also nothing wrong with being read by all of the heads of the studios right. nobody wanted to make the movie but at fox a major studio they said we don't want to make this movie we love this guy's voice we have a problem uh, script that we have not been able to get an, an A-list Hollywood writer to get a handle on. We want to give this, maybe this guy could handle it, you know. Mm -hmm. We think maybe he has the voice for it. Um, 
So they hired him to do that. It was his first job ever, and he was just rewriting somebody else's script. So they just paid him $10,000 to do that a week. Uh, and they guaranteed him six weeks, it went 10 weeks. Do the math. It's not the kind of fortune that it once represented. It will keep you in guacamole till Cinco de Mayo, or yeah. come to think of it, Cinco de Mayo is pretty soon, I think, even till Jesse says to September. And it's still not all of the end, uh, all that came of that, uh, because imagine you're a, a major studio and you're trying to hire a writer uh, uh, $10,000 a week to do a rewrite, and, and that writer is not represented. Agents, literary managers, they will line up at your door and, and plead with you for the privilege of uh, representing you. And, um, uh, you know, that this guy got a very good agent and he's been busy. I just saw on Netflix a series of, uh, that he did. My wife and I were watching this series that Dolly Parton made. And, and this guy wrote four out of the seven uh, of this li limited series. I mean, he's still busy after, after all these years. See, it's, you want to stop focusing on the sale. Uh, you, you, yeah. you, um, you don't want to obsess about that. You've got to stay busy and con continue to create your inventory, yep. which is the screenplays that you yep. write. Yep, that's true. Um, so for, for your program, a student who came in would have would would be writing three scripts a, a year? Well, uh, perhaps, yes. Everybody took that course. It, it was a two-year program. Most people, about, at least half the people stayed a third year. Uh, you had to take that course at least three times. So that was the minimum of screenplays. But many, oh, many writers uh, took it again and again and again, four, five, six times sometimes. Mm. Uh, you know, at SC, where I went to school, the screenwriting program, the first year, this is not when I was there, but but since then, um, you wrote a, uh, a first draft of a script, and then in the second year, you, you revised that script, so at the end, you had a really ready-to-go script. Well, at UCLA, we, you'd have two, three scripts to throw away, and yeah. every writer, you need to to fumfer and yeah. blunder around and find your own way and find your own voice and so on, and that's I right. know, you know, now that I'm elderly, <laughs> I realize there are things that you, you, you can only recognize when you're old. Um, yeah. You don't know when that what's going on, while it's going on, only when when you look back. But um, yeah. the, the what defeats everybody is patience. Yeah. You need to be patient. Yeah. Uh, you know, what is what is uh, poets and, and artists and intellectuals, people like me and like people listening to this podcast, um we you know we, we're we're um uh creative people we we, we want to uh um you know ex express our passion and all that mm -hmm. um but uh it's really hard to be to be patient um the hardest thing is is giving it the time uh yeah. you need everybody knows you need talent uh much more important than talent is, is time yeah. and uh that is a measure of the of discipline you know, yeah. poets are trying to define the word love. I don't know what, I can't define it for you, but I can tell you what the measure of love is. And that mm -hmm. is how much time you'll give to this. How much time will yeah. you give to your child? How much time will you give to your life partner? Mm -hmm. How much time will you give to the screenplay that you're writing? How mm -hmm. much time will you give to the career that you're trying, trying to put, put together? Yeah, so you true. need not just talent, but a lot of discipline. There's another thing you need, which is courage. Yeah. You gotta be brave to do this. Yeah to stop people in the street and ask them to, you know, metaphorically. <laughs> to, yep, you, yep. You, you think you can, you're going to traffic in your own imagination, swap your daydreams for dollars, you know? That is a, a blessing and a, a, what a blessing for me to have spent my life doing that and working with people who do that, creative people and living a creative life. That's worth putting in the, the time. Yep. Uh, you know, time is the measure of your life so screenwriting art it wants your life and if that sounds like a brooding and, and a pessimistic and a nihilistic mm -hmm. notion it's i mean it is the opposite of that I, what could be more glorious what could be a greater blessing uh, than yeah. to give you life to creativity to dream making to storytelling and so on it, it it's uh, you know if you really love your work it's not it's not work yeah that's true. That's very true. The UCLA program is is regarded, I believe, as one of the most successful writing programs for screenwriters. No, uh, no, no, it is not regarded as one of the most successful programs. I think it's where I'm going with this. It's the most successful program. I mean, there are three obvious leading film schools. My alma mater, USC, 
UCLA and, and in, in uh, New York, NYU, the, mm. uh, the Tisch School of the Arts is where the film school is located. Yeah. Um, AFI is great. I mean, there's a lot of bunch of institutions, but the usually cited are, are those three. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the New York Times and in the uh, Times of London and, and, and in the Los Angeles Times, and those are just the Timeses, also in the Wall yeah. Street Journal and elsewhere, they do cite those institutions as the leading film schools and go on to say that, the, that UCLA is this particularly um, um, strong in its writing program. Yes, so I, writing. it's not just I who say that. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, it really is a, um, uh, the leading screenwriting program. Uh, as I said, 11 pictures for, just for Spielberg. Um, in, a, in, in my last 10 years alone, there were five Best Screenplay uh, Oscar nominations and three Best, best Screenplays. It's just astonishing. Uh, I, I recently saw a, an article from um, the Writers Guild newsletter, their printed newsletter. Uh, I should say our printed newsletter. I belong to the Guild for half a century. And it was about the Black Writers Committee. Now, these are, this is the Writers Guild. So these are all writers. These are not aspiring writers. These are working writers yeah. uh, who, who've actually had some success. You can't just join the Writers Guild. You have to actually have an assignment from a signatory company, a legitimate yeah. television network or streamer or, or, or um, uh, you know, movie studio production company. Um, and and um, the, uh, uh, this article profiled about 18 members of the um, Black Writers Committee. And I was proud to see that uh, most of them had gone to UCLA. Uh, and mm-hmm. that among that group, most of them had taken my, my, my own class. And of course, yeah. that's very nice if you believe in diversity, as I always have my whole, my whole life. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it's also testimony to how much work there is. There's yeah. just more work available for writers now than ever before. It's never, ever been this good for writers and and for audiences i mean mm-hmm. my my bride and i we're married uh, 55 years um uh, we're seeing series from finland and, yep. and indonesia mm-hmm. and spain and, and all, you know all over the the world what's wrong with that uh, yeah. you know uh, that's great it, it also because of the the decline in production uh, costs yeah. Uh, somebody just sent me a movie uh, that they made. They, they spent ten thousand dollars to make this movie, mm. uh, and I'm telling you, it looks like a Hollywood production. They used it was shot on a phone. They used drones really? for the crane shots. <laughs> and I am here to tell you, um, with my feeble attention span, which I think is an asset, by the way, for yeah. writers. Yeah. Um, they, uh, you know, if you can concentrate really well, your audience may not be able to concentrate quite as well as you. It can be the other way around. Um, the, the, here I, I actually sat through that whole, the whole movie. Hmm. Anybody can make a movie now. The, the, um, uh, the, the question, and then, and you can distribute it. You have distrib- yeah. distribution. Everybody has in their pocket the phone. You can distribute. So now what's really valuable is attention. Mm-hmm. But you don't need as much attention. You know, how do you get people to watch that? Yeah. Uh, you don't need that many people to watch it because it didn't cost that much to make it and so on. So right. there's more stuff available than ever before um, uh, for audiences to choose among. And, mm-hmm. and there are more opportunities for creators to make livings being creative. It's never been so wonderful as, as now. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's where you know we niche down into these these audiences that you don't need much, but if you've got a really vo- uh, hungry audience vo- in a niche, that's gold. You know? mm-hmm. There's just two kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. We hear a lot of talk about genre. Yep. Uh, I think there are only two genres, huh. uh, and here they are. Good movies and bad movies. <laughs> yes. And a good movie, what is a good movie? A good movie is engaging. You know, all of that success I was bragging about at UCLA, we only had one rule there. You could do anything you want. You can write about anything you want and do anything you want. The only rule was, and it was just three words, and here they are. Don't be boring. Yeah. Not an easy rule to live up to for an no. hour and 40, 40 minutes. You've been to no. the movie, you turn on the TV, you can see how rarely yeah. people really do, do live up to that. Right. But I think a really, it's like children's films. I remember when, when we were just talking the other day um, with the family, and I remember when uh, we used to go away to a, 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 the, the 
what they call Bruin Woods. It was actually a Bruin family camp over the summer at a conference center up in the mountains near, near Los Angeles. Um, when the kids were little, my wife and I and the children go up there and uh, on one night they, for a week, I was the faculty lecturer. They would give it to us for free. Um, among the best perks that I had over <laughs> my years at UCLA. Uh, and on one night during the week, they had movie night. Um, and for the grownups, they had a grown-up movie. I don't want to see an adult film because that, that now means, yeah. you know, poor. That's right. <laughs> they had a movie for the grownups, and, but they also had a kid's movie. And I remember I would each year take my, uh, our, our younger child, our son. Yesterday was his 36th birthday. Wow. Times winged chariot. You know? yeah, no but doubt. I took our little boy uh, to settle him into the children's movie, just to get him stuck, because they would have also a kid's movie. And I would drop him off there. I would plan to drop him off. But I would want to sit with him a few minutes to get him settled in. And I always ended up getting caught up in the movie and watching it. <laughs> there aren't children's movies and grown-ups movies. Yeah. It's just good movies and bad movies. And a really good movie for for, for children, made for children, is a good movie for anybody. I think yeah. Toy Story is, yes. is a, a brilliant, a masterwork uh, that explores uh, very, very deep and profound issues relative to identity. How do we know we are who we are? How do yeah. we know this isn't all a dream? You know, what is the nature of reality? What is the nature of identity, especially? Mm -hmm. and, and that's a very successful children's movie. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so that's what everybody including faith-based filmmakers should be yep. trying to For make sure. not a, um, anything other than the best story that they can that they can tell yeah and if you sit out with some lofty goal you you're going to fall on your face yeah um the goal should be to 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 um, uh, engage that audience mm -hmm. i can tell you something the, the, when i got to ucla there was a and i'm talking about the the, the mid and late 70s there was, especially at universities, I think a prejudice against popular films. If a pop film was popular, it was yep. no good. Yeah, you know, I remember, remember that. I was once asked, you know, Andy Warhol said everybody has 15 minutes of fame. I had 15 years where I was constantly appearing on these, um, uh, I was a talking head on all of these political talk shows. I must have been on The O'Reilly Factor a dozen times. Wow. Um, uh, and I was kind of like the unofficial lib, house lib at Fox News, you know. Because um, <laughs> after you go on those shows, well, I tangled with them all the time. I was just standing yeah. up to them, and I also, it was kind of, kind of fun, I must say. And I, I also kind of get along with people. You know, you're actually in the room yeah. with somebody. It's what I call 98.6. Makes a big difference in the world. I remember I went to, to, to they flew me, CBS flew me to New York years ago to appear on the Today Show defending um, the uh, Da Vinci Code. Mm -hmm. And I was battling with a guy named Bill Donahue, who was the head of the Catholic League, uh, who wanted the movie to be, uh, you know, who, who, who was complaining that the movie was inaccurate in terms of its uh, uh, Catholic theology and um, church history mm -hmm. and so on. Um, I remember saying, uh, uh, you know, when, I, when I'm hungry, and I uh, have a hankering for a tuna sandwich, <clears throat> and it is my style to say things that make people wonder what's coming <laughs> next. And by the way, writers, that's what you should be doing in your screenplay. That's right. If I'm hungry and I want a tuna sandwich, I don't go to the hardware store. In other words, I know you don't go to if you if you want a religious sermon, if you want yeah. a a a. Um, 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 uh, a history lesson, don't go to the movies. You're going to get bad yeah. history, bad theology. Bad movie. Yeah. Um, but I did become pals with, with Donahue. We, we met in the green room. We argued, you know, on, 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 uh, on set. Um, <laughs> but we became, <laughs> we became pals. He, I see him when I go to New York uh, from, from time to time. Uh, um, but in any event, the, as, as I say, the, uh, uh, on one occasion uh, during my period of fame when I was doing all of these shows, I got a call. It was actually in 1999, late in 99. And uh, I got a call from a reporter. It must have been a slow news day because he wanted, he was calling film experts. He wanted to know what I thought was the uh, best film of the 90s. Now, I'm not a film buff. I don't go to every, every movie, never have yeah. been. Um, but I started thinking, let's see 
what was the bit? What did I see in the '90s that I liked? I'm also notorious for hating most movies. <laughs> uh, and I, 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 uh, I mean, I'm, the fact is, it's most movies are pretty bad. Most yeah. art is pretty bad. You yeah. go to the um, Museum of Modern, uh, the the Metropolitan Museum of, of Art in New York City, my favorite museum. You will not see one painting there. You won't see one work of sculpture that's not timeless and eternal and that doesn't belong there. Yeah. And you can get the impression that that's the way painting and sculpture is, but movies seem to be uniquely bad. And what we don't realize is that for every a painting at the, at the Met, there's 8,000 stupid, useless, worthless amateur paintings. God bless the artists, the yeah. amateurs who tried that, who tried to be creative. That's got to expand their lives and, and mm -hmm. nourish them in a million ways. Um, uh, but movies are merely just as bad as, as other art. Yeah. Uh, it's always experimental. People you, in film schools, people say, well, that was an experimental movie. I mean, it was a boring movie. You know, every, <laughs> fi every, fi every episode of, of Laverne and Shirley was an experiment. Will it work this yeah. way? Uh, yeah. You know, th this time. So, so I got called, what, what, what I think was the best movie in the 90s? Uh, so I'm thinking, what did I see that I liked? That's pretty hard. And then was it, I thought of a few titles, but were those in the 90s or weren't them in the 80s? And suddenly <laughs> I had one of the greatest insights <laughs> of my life, truly profound. It suddenly occurred to me that in this vast universe and theoretical mathematicians and, and um, astrophysicists tell us this universe is just one of an infinite number of parallel universes. Um, and in all of that vastness, there is not one single thing that is less important than what some film professor thinks is the best movie of the 90s. <laughs> and, what, and I just decided to blurt out whatever came, came to mind. And I said, Terminator 2. Uh, now, the reason I said Terminator 2 was, was, was uh, multiple, you know, the multiple reasons for that. One is um, I just don't want to do what they expect me to do. And neither should yeah. you as a screenwriter expect what the people... You know, people say the, all of these franchise movies, they're successful because they live up to, to the expectations audiences have for them. Well, I don't want my expectations. I want them exceeded. I want, you know, yeah. I want my life turned upside down, which is what yeah. the great, great, great works of art do. They yeah. change you forever. When you look at them again, the classics, are they as good as they were the first time? No, they're even better. You, you, you know, you, so, so Terminator 2. Um, the the, the they're expecting me to say you know to name some bulgarian um filmic tone poem you know uh, yeah. that has a freaky soundtrack and crazy images and so on they don't expect me to to to, to um mention a um a part of a, a chapter in a franchise you know especially yeah. a big commercial franchise. but so that's one reason i said but the other reason is i think terminator 2 is a brilliant brilliant movie mm. it really goes a long way towards exploring um, the nature of the human condition, particularly the, the ability to feel, you know, and at the end, uh, Terminator Arnold um, becomes human. And how does he know that? It's because he suddenly can feel. Hmm. Robots don't feel anything, humans yeah. do. And when he's able to feel, what is he able to feel? Pain and sorrow and grief, he never knew that before. Yeah. And I think that um, somebody watching Terminator 2, uh, just wanting to see a good movie later on even though she he they're not thinking about this when they when they have a crisis in their life uh if they've seen terminator 2 maybe it'll help them realize that what's happening to them is a result of their being human so i do have a question about uh some some history and i might be completely out to lunch but before the late 70s, there were a lot of really personal films, but then Jaws and Star Wars and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, they hit and then there, there became this explosion and this hunger for finding what's the formula for the blockbuster. And it was really after that, that all of these story writing gurus jumped on that bandwagon and started teaching screenwriting. My first book that I've ever read was from Sid Field you know, mm -hmm. his screen, screenplay book uh, when I was in film school. Um, Sid was my friend and I miss him every day. He was a wonderful, wonderful yeah. fellow. Do, do go on. Yeah. Um, so my question is, do you think that we lost something? What did we gain after that explosion of screenwriting instruction? And what did we lose? Or did we lose anything? 
Well, I, I don't think, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned um, Jaws, for example. Yeah. Jaws is actually a profoundly personal film. Um, you know, it's based, I don't know how many people recognize this, but it's, it's, it's consciously based, uh, the novel was, and also the movie, eventually wrote the novel, Peter Bencher wrote the novel, but it's based on Ibsen's, uh, Henrik Ibsen's a Norwegian playwright's play called An Enemy of the People. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. From 100 years ago, where, oh. where uh, now 130 years ago, probably, a um, the director of a, um, uh, uh, the doctor who is the medical director of a spa, a very popular health spa in Europe, uh, discovers that uh, the springs are poisoned uh, and this is a life-saving discovery. You got to clear everybody out of there and, you know, stop using these, these springs. Everybody will celebrate him for having uh, made this discovery and saying, uh-uh, all they see is that their business is, 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 is ruined. Um, and Jaws, the sheriff sees that there's, you know, summer, the season mm -hmm. is coming and there's, you better not swim here. There's sharks here. Thank God for the sheriff, right? God bless the sheriff. No, no, no. It's messing up our season. The, the point of, 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 of uh, Jaws is, is very religious, which is history. I'm sorry, people yeah. hate a truth teller. Yeah. They hate a truth teller. Look at, you know, Christians uh, look at Jesus' life and they see a truth teller mm -hmm. who was, was ultimately assassinated, exterminated, mm -hmm. executed uh, for, for, te for telling, telling the truth. See, you can say Jaws is a big blockbuster just trying to make money when in fact, it, and, and it certainly is that, but these, they're, they're not at odds with each other. Yeah. I'll tell you again, uh, audiences, I said this before, audiences are smart. Um, they're not stupid. Uh, you look at the great stuff that survived, the great dramas that survived, going back to the Greek era through Shakespeare and so on, they were not little lost tone poems. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, they were very popular in their own, in their own day. Richard will be with us again in the next episode. If you'd like to purchase Richard's book, The Essentials of Screenwriting, or attend one of his online courses, you'll find links to them in the show notes. Tonic DNA is an animation studio based in Montreal. We're always on the lookout for talented artists to join our team who are committed to artistic excellence. You can find Tonic on the web at tonicdna.com. This has been the Story Driven Arts Podcast. For more resources, visit our website at storydrivenarts.com. Music is by Lee Rosevere.